welcome to The Revolution Podcast, a joint project of the Education Trust and New Teacher Center. Here, we engage leaders in conversations around how we navigate these uncharted times in our schools in a way that truly revolutionizes the learning opportunities our students experience daily. In today's conversation, we speak with Dr. Tangi Reed Marshall and Etienne Howard to synthesize what we've learned over the past six months and how we might move education forward. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the Revolution Podcast. I'm Kristen Wendell with NTC, and today I'm thrilled to share this space with Dr. Tanji Reed Marshall from Education Trust and Etienne Howard from New Teacher Center. These voices are most likely familiar to our podcast listeners from previous episodes. Tanji and Etienne, I am so excited to be here with both of you today. Thank you, Kristen. I'm excited to be here as well. Thank you both. Very thrilled. So the Revolutionized Ed campaign started over four months ago. And so I want to think about what were we excited to hear about? What do we hope would be shared over the course of the months that we engage with the ideas of how we might revolutionize education? Tanji, can you kick us off? Yeah, I think, um, one, I can't believe it's been four months. That's one thing, right? Like, wow. The other thing I think that we were hoping for was to engage in a dialogue about not just reform, but doing something really different because given what's been going on in the country, particularly with the pandemic, and then even more particularly with the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all of our other fallen folks at the hands of inappropriate um, police brutality, I think we stood on a place of possibility. And I think in our conversations, we were wondering if people were willing to see this through a new lens. Yeah, I would just layer into that and, and, and say, I think another goal we had was really to push ourselves as an organization to get beyond some of the notions that, that Tanji was just describing um, and really use the, the space, the communal space and that dialogue to investigate our own um, level of, of investment and willingness to look at some of the ways in which we've perpetuated those things and how we could meet the moment in a much more radical, radical from the, the sense of moving beyond trying to reform a system or reform the field, but really have a conversation around what that reimagining would require. And that's a really different conversation than how do you fix something that is that is broken, right? And so for me, that that's one of the greatest aims that we set as we embarked upon this journey. And, and it's still one that we're very much working through and, and working for. Was there a specific event or moment or something a guest shared that stood out most to either of you? I think for me, when we had um, two times, when we, well, when we had the students on and we had uh, Crystal uh, Seward on, an educator on, and one of the things she said was, if your work around culturally responsiveness or anti-racism isn't calling your job into question and your job isn't on the line, are you actually doing it? 
That's exciting. We're releasing a bonus episode with Crystal for the podcast alongside this one. So listeners, if you want to hear more from Crystal and she talks about following the breadcrumbs that her students leave for her as a teacher, um, we can look for that. Atini, what what's sitting with you still? What stood out for you? I think every time we had these conversations, what, what stood out for me is how hungry educators are to engage in these conversations and how, while there seem to be a plethora of resources coming at them. Um, there was something in the communal space and the communal dialogue and, and holding that space and saying all the quiet things loudly together that really stuck with me. Um, and I think particularly when we think about educators of color, I can remember the same webinar that, that Tanji is talking about, just watching the chat and watching how much resonance and gratitude there was for some of the themes being elevated in that conversation. And so that just leaves me with deep reflection on how we can continue to create those spaces um, because they're necessary to do the work and stay on the journey um, that Tanji just described. Yeah, one of the, the ideas that came out of our June conversation, and I can't remember who said this, but one of the ideas that came out of the June conversation was there's a distinction between a spa safe space and a brave space, and authentically engaging our voices can make it feel like the ground is trembling. And so when I think about both Tanji, what you pulled out that Crystal was sharing and Atini, you saying people are hungry, I'm really thinking about the ways in which educators are having to step out into brave spaces in so many different ways. So I'm curious how that thought, which was five months ago, resonates with you and where you are or what you're seeing educators do today. Yeah, I'm, I think that that was Sharif Elmecki who said that, um, if, if memory serves, which it doesn't always, but I think that's who said that um, in that conversation. And, you know, I think to be totally frank in this conversation we're having today, um, that's, a, that's a deep concern that I have is how we create brave but productive space um, and how we do that in a way that doesn't jeopardize the momentum that this moment presents to all of us to move deeper into anti-racist, equity, culturally responsive and sustaining work. Um, you know, there's tons of resources, there's tons of, of investments and buzz, but where do we bring that together to really make sure that teachers are showing up equipped to engage in this work in ways that are truly restorative and build students up and don't ask students to be in a space of experimentation or, you know, unhealthy bravery, because we ask them to do that every day as a field right now. Um, but then doing that in a, in a time where kids are deeply affected, adults are deeply affected, how do we do this in a way that truly leverages the power and does that in a nurturing, supportive, sustaining, and brave way that is also high quality and isn't just about inviting people into to vulnerability in ways that have the potential to be really counterproductive and potentially damaging if you don't have the skill to facilitate 
the work in that way. Yeah, I am struck by the word bravery um, when we think about this and and how it is that we think teachers are being brave when they begin to do the kind of work that really speaks to every child, not just a child who's sitting in front of them who looks like them. Why is that brave? And I know someone's going to go, because it's a thing. And, you know, we'll get some pushback and backlash and all like that. But that's not for me. One of the things is that, that is revolutionary to me um, to piggyback what you're saying, that the ground is shifting. Yes, the ground is shifting because we're asking people to stop relying on a valued status quo that severely disenfranchised whole bodies of children and their families and their communities. It's not brave when you begin to enfranchise them. It's responsible. Um, and the idea that we are calling teachers and educators, not just teachers, teachers and teacher leaders and teacher developers and, and you know education prep programs, all of the people who have their hands in the learning life of a child, that they're somehow brave now, that they're embarking on this work around anti-racism and cultural responsiveness and sustainability and relevance, that's not brave. Um, and I say that because I am one of those people who was probably at some point in my career as a learner, as a student, as a student career, you know, in a community that would have been disenfranchised economically and socially. So it's not brave. Um, and that's revolutionary that we can begin to see this not as brave, but as responsible. And also um, the ground is shifting and that's a good thing. You know what I mean? It's, it's a good thing if the ground upon which we've been standing educationally doesn't shift and shape beneath your feet, then we got to ask ourselves, why not? You know, why is it not shaping beneath our feet? Are we that satisfied with what's going on that, oh, we can just hang out here and coast? No, not with graduation rates as they are, not with ongoing um, disparate numbers and, and quote unquote outcome measurement differentials between groups of people, groups of students, you know, when we can have predictive analytics based upon race and ethnicity and economics and, and language, um, why are we okay with the ground? Why, you know, why are we, I think for me, it really is, why do we get so unnerved when the ground beneath our education feet begins to shift? And then we run for the hills hoping that the ground doesn't shift anymore because it's just too hard, you know? Um, but there are kids who are learning under the weight of other people's unwillingness to see them as humane simply because they don't look like them, simply because they don't sit in nice, neat little rows or, you know, prior to the pandemic that they weren't walking in hallways in straight single silent lines, which is what they do in prisons right, with bubbles in their mouths and fingers over their lips because we want them to act a certain way and we believe that they have to behave in a certain manner. Um, and so I think those are the kinds of things that I know we were hoping to push forward through our conversations. And um, I think it's right, you know, it's not, it's, we, we have to get to the responsible part of this. This is a responsible thing. You know, you're responsible for doing this for, for every child. I think that's kind of where I was beginning to sit with everything. Tanji, that makes me think about your conversation with Erica 
around the system and that the system is getting what it has been set up to get. It is, it is producing the results that it was set up to produce. And so when we think about the fact that those are not acceptable and that's what we're looking to change, you're going to have to break the foundation and shift the foundation. And it's not easy or comfortable to change for anyone. But if we're going to get what we, we say we want to get for every student in this country that's going to require shifts and changes for us to be, and I really appreciate the language you're using, of responsible. That's our responsibility as educators to each child that we serve. That's right. You know, we have to be willing to, you know, a woman that I work for, Lillian Lowry, who was a part of our, uh, one of the phrases she talks a lot about is she's an egg breaker, right? She's going to break the eggs and break the shells, right? And so, you know, would laugh and say, you, you know, which, which eggshells are you breaking, right? And so we've got to decide to break the eggshell. Right? We have to decide that there are structures in place that we're willing to dismantle. We know the results we're getting are designed results. Um, and so they become so designed, we sometimes can't figure out how to disentangle them. We can't figure out, like they're so ingrained and in, in intertwined into what we do, we almost can't figure out how to undo them. Yeah, I guess, I mean, listening to this, I, I, I just, I, I am going to be brave, Tandy. <laughs> I want us to be brave, but I don't want us to think that bravery means that that's the right thing. Because got to be, but it's, it's like brave isn't the thing we should be championing in the no. sense that that's your responsibility. Yes, absolutely. No, I was not questioning that. I, my, my, here is my statement. <laughs> This whole notion of we've seen all the the truth, right? We've, we've brought the truth all the way out from behind the curtain and it can't go back. And yet, for me, I, I think one of the things I've always struggled with when we talk about what school could and should be for all kids and all, all, all people, quite frankly, a school is a communal institution, uh, you know, what worries me in all of this is that, and we've seen this more more prominently than than ever before in my lifetime in the last four years too, is that everyone doesn't want schools to work in very very prominent positions of power who are are very invested in in pretty insidious ways and in maintaining the status quo. And I think that's really truly where part of this conversation needs to go. Um, if we're really, really serious about change, because the, the burden cannot be wholly on the system and, and the people who, who, who live within that system. There's also a conversation about, well, why is the system being maintained? Who's invested in maintaining it? Why are they invested in that? You know, and, and what are what is the consequence of continuing to put all of our emphasis on the people within the system and what they are or are not doing or what they do or do not believe when there's something much larger at work that allows this to proliferate? Um, and, and when are we going to have the conversation and, and the theory of action around how to shift that? Because ultimately, we can work the live long day and we can continue to make environments that work for all. all. And, and, and those places exist. They're out there. Um, but that's not truly going to bring about the transformation that, that our nation and our children need and, and deserve. 
Yeah, I think you're right. Um, it's definitely that that con that idea makes sense to me. Um, and I'm glad you said there are people who don't want it. You know, a, a colleague of mine, Karen Chenoweth, and I talk about this a lot when we have our rants that we really are. Uh, we have edu rants and we talk about this all the time. Um, and, <laughs> and we talk about like there really are people that democracy that where we have right now is like an American identity crisis. Right. And so we're really dealing with people who want democracy and who don't want democracy. And that's what we're struggling with right now. People who want it and people who don't want it. And that's the same battle about, you know, educational equity and justice. There are folks who actually don't want it. You know, um, there are folks who don't understand, you know, the underpinnings of public education wasn't really about making it a great equalizer. It was actually the opposite, right? Because it was set up as a stratified system. And because it was set up as a stratified system, we, and we don't real, and people, so many people don't know that, you know, they think about it. Oh, well, everyone's going to school. Therefore, you know, it's this great equalizer. That really struck me on the, on the webinar where the students were featured, how, spot on. <laughs> I mean, saying things like, you know, I had to have an advocate to be able to participate in certain courses, or, you know, we are aware that our teachers need more training to engage with us in in this way. Um, you know, you, you're so right. And what is the toll tax we are paying for that? Because there's the sort of, okay, there's the undereducation, as, as you called out, of whole groups of, of communities, ethnicities, generations, right? And then there's the actual psychic toll that moving through your entire life in a system that you don't see yourself valued, reflected, encouraged, allowed, permitted, what is that doing? You know, and, and I think, I mean, that ties to the importance of the report I just, just put out, the CAD report, and and the marriage of understanding human development and nature and connection and how that can be a great accelerator or it can be a great inhibitor to learning and full expression and power of one's own mind and so forth. And so, you know, I think the next phase of the, the conversation does need to move into that next level of depth that, you know, kids are aware, communities are aware, and what price are we paying, paying for that? I think that's right. I, I do. Um, how do we move it forward? Because there are so many levers that have to be pulled, right? I think that's one of the things, one of the things that John talked about when he was, when he joined us in our last one, you know, really highlighting a lot of the different levers that have to be pulled and pushed to move us forward, to become what we really say, you know, and, and, and the context within each place is a critical driver in, in understanding how to best move forward because there is no best move forward. It's a best move forward within the context I find myself. Thinking about that intersection of, of community and school and schools impacting communities 
communities impacting schools. I'm thinking about what Karen Pittman shared with us when she came on the podcast and her thinking around how how did learning happen and how did a com- how did communities rally around students and schools. Um, I'm also thinking about I have a, a op-ed I read recently by one of my former colleagues talking about how much they focus at her school on the importance of voting, even though her school is elementary, and how she has had parents come in with their I voted stickers and they had never voted before, but because their children go home and say, like, our ancestors died for this and they gave their lives for this and we have to take our vote. These are babies going home to their moms and saying, you need to vote. The power of a school to impact a community and what that looks like. And, and a lot of what we are wrestling with is so big and so broad that as an educator, it can be overwhelming to know what do I do tomorrow. So if we were to, if you all were to say how we might distill something down, how might a person um, think for themselves what that could be? How does a person decide this is the lane where I can push hard? This is the lever I'm going to flip on? Or if that's too big, do you have thoughts on what a next step might be? for someone who's really deciding where can I go next to push into this? One thing I would have to say, and I will speak directly to white educators who might be listening, you're not saviors. So the one thing I would ask an educator to realize is you're not a savior. You're an educator. There's some saving things that go on with an educator, but, but you have to start from the premise. This is one thing I talk about. You must start from the premise that every child's intellect matters. It's an acronym I developed for the word respect. Respect, responsive, relevant, rigorous education starts from the premise that every child's intellect matters. And if we actually believe in that, if we actually believe in that premise, then funding would be different, curriculum would be different, pedagogy would be different, Systems leadership would be different. Uh, Parental engagement and participation would be different, right? All those wraparound services outside the building and inside the building would be different if we truly, truly believed that a relevant, responsive, rigorous education starts from the premise that every child's intellect matters. I'll build on that and say... If every child's intellect matters, yours does too. Yours matters most. And I think one of the greatest concerns I have about our profession is the way in which we don't truly treat it as craft, as part art, part science, part humanity. Um, And you've got to be in deep interrogation, conversation, reflection, collaboration around each one of those things at all times in order to be truly a transformational educator. And I I, I can't tell you over the course of my career how I and I'm sure both of you have had similar conversations many, many times of, oh, I had no idea what I was doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, yes, yes, we all have to start somewhere, but that should not be okay. We should not be okay as a, as a profession with having to argue and, and convince and persuade anyone 
that teacher learning and building cultures around teacher and leader and, and system leader learning as the core of, of how we create better experiences and outcomes for, for students, we shouldn't be in that conversation. It's ground zero. If every kid's intellect matters, then every educator's intellect matters. This has been an absolutely like fabulous conversation. Yeah, I just love talking with both of you. It's wonderful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Tanji and Atini, for joining me, for sharing your thoughts and for pushing us. I know our listeners will appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for this great opportunity. Looking forward to it again. Thank you both so much. It was wonderful to be in dialogue. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on The Revolution Podcast, sponsored by the Education Trust and New Teacher Center. To engage more deeply in our work, please visit our Revolution Campaign website at www.newteachercenter.org.